Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Very good. Well, we are going to begin our service with our Advent lighting. So I have two youth coming to help. So we're beginning our celebration of Advent. It is a week late. So because of that, we're going to light two candles this morning instead of one. <clears throat> Advent means coming or arrival. And so by lighting these candles, we rejoice in the great gift that is ours in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And so this morning we light two candles. The first candle is a candle of hope. So Rebecca's going to light the candle of hope. While she does that, hope is our assurance that God will finish all he has started. Hope is our confidence that he will do all that he has promised. Romans 15 says, and again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And then Carter is going to light the love candle. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. I was reading a, an Advent devotion yesterday by Paul David Tripp, and he writes this, God would take on human flesh and invade his sin-broken world with his wisdom, power, glory, and grace. The sovereign king over all things would humble himself and take on the form of a servant. He would live on our behalf the life we could have never lived. He would willingly die the death that you and I deserve to die, and he would rise from the tomb as the conqueror of sin and death. The implications of this birth are not only transformational to the cosmos, but also eternal in their extent. This is the story of Jesus born in Bethlehem. The angels sang because finally hope had come. Will you join them this morning in singing as hope has come? Let's pray. Merciful God, you are always with us. We confess that we do not know how to prepare at times for your advent. We are so quick to forget your faithfulness, we have ignored the promise of your kingdom so often we get distracted by all the busyness of this season. Forgive us, God. We need you, Lord. We are hopeless without you. Come to us anew, and by your grace, help us to receive you with love as you have loved us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us as we sing King of Kings? Throne of endless. 
Take a moment and welcome those around you.
Enough. There you go. You may return to your seats and you may be seated. All right. This side is listened. This side over here. Uh, hey, so I'm, I'm going to try to keep my words brief because I, I, my voice is struggling this morning. I've already taught our new members class. Which we had 10 people in our new members class, which was awesome. Uh, praise the Lord for that. So, uh, if this is your first time with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. Come see me later, and I'll say more about that. Um, please pay attention to the bulletin. A lot of good announcements. David's going to make an announcement at the end of service on that. Uh, the other thing is, in the month of December, it is our emphasis upon Lottie Moon Christmas offering. There's multiple ways in which you can give. Our kids can give by bringing money, their own money, or if you have some ones that you want to give to them and a kid's nearby, you can do that. They can bring it up here, put it uh, in the manger. There's envelopes still in the pew. I encourage you to give. Make sure you put that check or that cash in that specific envelope for our offering. And another way to give is we do Christmas cards. There's green boxes out here on the table. So instead of you mailing Christmas cards to people in the church, you bring them. There's letters so you know where to put the slot. And there's also a nice red mailbox. And so we're saving you money on postage. So if you'll just bring in $5, $10, you can put that cash in that mailbox, and that money also goes towards the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So check out this video about missions. The places we go in North Africa, if you walked out the door and you said, I want to go find a Christian today, you would have to meet 33,000 people plus before you would meet a Christian. And I climbed up on the wall, and it was this humongous cemetery. And I thought to myself, 0.01% of the people in that cemetery is in heaven today. I came back and I showed that picture to my church. I said, church, we've got to go. Henderson had not even taken an actual mission trip. So we put a team together, began to study the unreached people groups, ended up going to Europe where there are 500,000 North Africans all over the city. IMB took us to the church that we partner with now, and they were already reaching out to Muslims, and they made us better. We were able to open our first school in North Africa to see people come to faith, disciple them, and to see church planted. The nations could be reached within our lifetime, and so that became really exciting for us to be part of that, and we kept making trip after trip after trip. My eyes were completely open. This is what heaven will look like. Languages, cultures. For us to be obedient, that means we can go, we can actually go and do it. We have a pastor from the Middle East. His services are being watched literally all over the world. He is seeing people come to faith all the time. The Great Commission says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. Being obedient, it's hard, it's difficult has propelled us to the ends of the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we have an opportunity, Lord, to live on mission for you each and every day. Father, would you remind us this morning that that is our responsibility, to live our lives, to walk this walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. That includes being holy, being set apart, but that also includes telling others about the name of Jesus. 
Thank you for our missionaries who are spread all across the world. Thank you for Northside's willingness to pray, to give, and to go. And Lord, as we have set a goal of 7,500, Father, we pray that you would lead us to give generously and sacrificially, Father, for your glory and your honor this month of December. Be with our missionaries. God, move in powerful ways this morning in this place, but around the world. And as we continue to sing Jesus about you, Father, I pray that you would just work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us and angels we
Amen. Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our children are going to make their way out for Children's Church. So we have two ages, pre-K three and four, and then kindergarten through second grade. If everybody else, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Well, we started back in August in the book of Ephesians, and here we are four months later, and we have finally made it to chapter 4. So I was, I was thinking as I was preparing, as we come into the Advent season, um, do, do, I, do I take a couple weeks and do an Advent sermon and take a break from Ephesians? Do I continue in Ephesians? And I just felt the Lord leading us to continue right along um, in Ephesians. But as we begin, I just want to take a moment and kind of think about the Advent. As we think about the coming of Christ, one thing that we are celebrating, um, right, is, is Christ and his coming, that Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's our Savior. This is what Matthew says, right? His name will be Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And so this morning, you and I need a Savior. We need to understand that we, we cannot save ourselves, that we need a Savior, and that Jesus Christ is that Savior. And so we must believe in Him, put our faith and our trust in Him, that He is Savior. And so we celebrate that during Advent, that Christ has come and He is our Savior. But we also understand that if we believe that Jesus Christ is Savior, and those words are true, then it also means Jesus' other words are true, which means that Jesus is not only Savior, He is Lord. That he must be Lord of our life. We're just saying that he's king of kings, right? We know he is Lord of lords. So Jesus is to be both your Savior and your Lord, which means we must follow him and we must submit to him. When Jesus says, follow me, we follow him. Certain commands, we submit to those commands. We trust in him. And in our text this morning... Right, The Apostle Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, would you take them and please uh, open them and stand. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're just going to focus on verse 1 this morning. Just one verse. And hopefully my voice will hold up uh, for that. This is the word of the Lord. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You may be seated. So Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. And we want him to be Savior and Lord of our life. This week as I was preparing and, and studying, I went down the rabbit hole. And I encourage you to do this. If you have never been there, you don't really know what this is all about, to do some studying on this. And that is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Um, in Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, there's a 12-minute video you can look for on YouTube. I believe it's by Lionheart Productions. It talks about the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. It talks about the guard, the changing of the guard. I'm not going to get into this morning in this illustration the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. That's fascinating how that came to be. Um, but starting April 6, 1948, and for 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days plus sheep year, since April 6, 1948, there has been a soldier from the 3rd U.S. Infantry Regiment, known as the Old Guard, who has stood watch over the tomb. 
They're also known as the Sentinels. Um, they, they are there in 95-degree scorching heat. They are there in torrential downpours. They are there in the blizzards of the winter. There is always a guard there. These Sentinels must go through extensive training. And once they've gone through this extensive training, then they are allowed to serve. And when they serve, if you have seen the changing of the guard or you have witnessed this or watched videos, you know this. The tomb guard marches exactly 21 steps down the black mat behind the tomb. He or she turns, faces east for 21 seconds. They then turn and face north for 21 seconds. They then take 21 steps down the mat and they repeat the process. They, they click their shoes when they turn. They, they move the gun. There's many things that they do. The number 21 symbolizes the highest military honor that can be bestowed. The 21-gun salute. There is, and this is the point, there is precision to their march, to their walk. And so a man or a woman who is trained for this who then has their moment to guard right the tomb of the unknown soldier, not known to us, known only to God. They understand the significance of this. They understand that not only are there unknown soldiers buried there, there's 400,000 people buried there in that cemetery. There are unknown soldiers buried all around the world. The remains never identified. They understand, having served this country, the significance of that moment. So when they're trained and when they're prepared and it's their turn, they understand the precision of their walk. A soldier, a guard, a sentinel does not show up that day and say, you know what, instead of 21 steps, I'm going to take 24. I just feel like taking 24 today. They don't stand there and say, I'm going to count to 15 and then I'm going to turn. Or instead of clicking, I'm going to do a little dance and then I'm going to click, right? They know that when they're there, they do not have the ability to alter the precision of their march. They're to walk in a specific, certain way. And Paul is saying to us, as Christians, there is a certain way you ought to walk. And you cannot decide how you would like to deviate from that walk. There must be a precision of the way in which we walk, in which we live. So let's break down this verse. Paul says, I therefore... Now, if you sat under preaching long enough, you know that us pastors can't just skip over that word, therefore. We always must ask, what is therefore, therefore? Why is it there? It's there for a reason. So Paul says, I therefore. This is a mark of transition. If you've been with us, you understand. We've made this clear. The first half of Paul's letter and the second half of Paul's letter, though they're unified they're different emphasis. The first three chapters, Paul focuses on the indicative. This is who you are in Christ. This is what God has done for you in Christ. And then when you come to chapter four, therefore, he now transitions to the imperative. He goes from the exposition and the instruction to the exhortation. He goes from the doctrine to the practice. He's laid down for us. This is who you are. Now, therefore, in light of that, He's going to give us commands. He's going to show us how we are to walk. I like the way John MacArthur summarizes it. The Christian life is simply the process of becoming what you are. 
The Christian life is simply the process of becoming what you are. Paul says you are someone, something in Christ. Now your life is to become that, is to live it out. So if you haven't been with us, who are you in Christ? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who are you? If you don't know Jesus Christ, who can you become through a relationship with Jesus? Well, a quick summary of the first three chapters as we make this transition. Who are we? Paul says, in Christ we are loved, we are chosen, we are accepted, we are redeemed, we are forgiven, we are heirs of God, we are sealed with his Holy Spirit, we are made alive with Christ, we are saved by grace, we are seated in the heavenly places, we've been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus, we've been reconciled to God, we are fellow citizens of his kingdom, we are members of the family of God and we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit somebody say amen. amen that's who you are in Christ and he's laid that out for us verse after verse after verse pouring it on piling it on this is who you are in Christ and now he's made that argument and he says I therefore and he makes the transition to now how we live in light of who we are in Christ I therefore a prisoner for the Lord Paul writing this letter from prison. He is in chains under house arrest. Notice, this will be on the screen, following the Lord Jesus Christ is costly. If we are going, let's just be honest, if we're going to walk the walk that God calls us to walk, to live in this certain manner, it's going to cost you. It may cost you in different ways, but it's going to cost you. And for Paul, it has led him to prison. Submitting to the Lord has led him to a place where he is in chains. Now, let me, let me tie back to something we talked about last week. Last week, if you go back to verse 20 of chapter 3, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I would imagine, as people are receiving this letter, some of these Christians are struggling with the fact that Paul's in prison. Like, man, God, Paul could do far more outside of prison. What we have to understand is God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And God's doing things that we don't really understand. So let me lay this out for you in two ways as we think about Paul. Paul, when you read the letter to the Romans and other places, had a desire to go to Rome. On his way to Spain, he was going to stop off in Rome. He had a desire to do that. But it was God's will to delay him. Paul wanted to go to Rome, it was, or in, in, to visit Rome. It was God's will that he delay. What happens as a result of God delaying Paul? Paul writes the letter to the Romans. Had Paul immediately gone to Rome, maybe we never have the letter to the Romans. But it was God's will to delay it so that he could inspire Paul to write this letter that has transformed lives for centuries because we understand about God and justification by faith through Romans. Paul gets to Rome finally, but he winds up there and he's in prison. We think, man, God let, set Paul free. Paul could do far more outside of prison. But what happens while Paul's in prison in Rome? He writes the letter to the Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. Would Paul have done that if he had not been in prison? Maybe, but he had a little bit more time on his hands in prison. Right, so the Spirit of God inspires Paul, and so now we have this letter to the Ephesians, which is a treasure for us 2,000 plus years later. So God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. But right now, he is in prison. I, therefore, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. Urge you. That word urge means to plead, to beg, to exhort. Notice this is not just a simple request, but it is a passionate plea. He is passionately pleading to them to do something. 
Paul is exhorting us how to live, and he will flesh this out in the remaining verses of chapters 4, 5, and 6. Let me ask you a question. How important is Paul's exhortation here? How important is Paul's exhortation and instruction of who you are in Christ? How important is Paul's exhortation as he lays out for us what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which God has called us? How important is this? Hear me, it is so important that Paul is willing to suffer imprisonment and die for it. That's how important these words are. Paul believed this to be the very will and word of God, and he's willing to die to get it in your hands and mine. This is how significant this is. Let us not take this lightly. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. To walk. That word walk simply means to live. It's referring to daily conduct, day by day living. This isn't the only time Paul uses the word walk in Ephesians. Let's walk through this together. Chapter 2, verse 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So Paul's saying there was a way in which you once walked, you once lived, you were dead. This is who you were. Then we come to chapter 2, verse 10. I pray you're following along with me here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. He's saying this is what God has done, prepared you for good works, now walk in them. Chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy. Chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us. Chapter 5, verse 8. Walk as children of light. Chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul is dealing with our very life. How are we going to live? Jesus says, follow me. And when you follow him, you are to be a follower of Christ. It's not a one-time decision to follow, but it's an ongoing posture in your life in which you are following, you're walking with Jesus. Jesus makes disciples. He calls us to be learners of him. And we are to live out our lives walking in such a way that we are constantly being his disciple. That we are to live a certain way. And then he adds these words. In a manner worthy. You are to walk in a manner worthy. Now, that word worthy appears multiple times in the Scriptures. Uh, Colossians 1.10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 2 Thessalonians 1.11, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Now that Greek word for worthy is axios. John MacArthur has a very helpful explanation of this Greek word. He says axios, worthy, has the root meaning of balancing the scales. So you've seen those, those scales and you balance them. Of balancing the scales. What is on one side of the scale should be equal in weight to what is on the other side. By extension, the word came to be applied to anything that was expected to correspond to something else. Here's an example. He says, a person worthy of his pay 
was one whose day's work corresponded to his day's wages. So if we're going to pay you for working eight hours, then we expect you to actually work eight hours. To work hard for eight hours. If we pay you for eight hours and you only work three, it's not balanced. If we pay you for eight and you work for eight, now it's balanced. That, that's what it came to be understood as, a balancing of the scales. That's what this word worthy means. Walk in a manner worthy, and then he says this, of the calling to which you have been called. Paul has laid out for us, brothers and sisters, that we have been called. Isn't it effectual call of salvation? God calls us to salvation. He calls us to himself. There's a calling placed upon your life. For me, it was June 18, 1990, when God called me, when I became aware of my sins and believed in his name, and I was saved. I was called to salvation. We have been called to salvation, and we have received, Paul says, great privileges, and with this comes great responsibility. We have received great privileges, great blessings through God's calling. We were not worthy when God called us. We were unworthy. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God in his grace saves us from that, and now he gives us these great privileges and great responsibility. And Paul says we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Brothers and sisters, Paul has already stated to us that in Christ we are now citizens of God's kingdom. And we belong to his family. We are sons and daughters of God the Father. We are citizens of his kingdom. So in light of everything he said, Paul now says, let us walk in a manner worthy of that. And he's going to lay out for us what that looks like. And I want to give you one word this morning as we think about this. And I want us to go all the way back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says this. <clears throat> Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Paul has laid out for us up to this point in Ephesians um, many things. He has said to us, this is who you are in Christ. You once were alienated, but now you've been reconciled to God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. In addition to your being reconciled to God the Father, he also lays out for us in chapters 2 and 3 that he is creating a new family. He's creating one people. He's taking the broken, and he's taking the divided, and he's uniting us into one people. Unity is a key theme of Paul going forward. We'll see it next week. He's making one new family, but he's also doing something else. He's making that one family holy and distinct. If we're going to talk about what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, you and I need to understand that is a call to holiness. It is a call to be set apart and distinct from the world in which we live. Let me just give you several examples of this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. He says, To put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Isaiah says, holy, holy, holy. Revelation talks about God being holy, holy, holy. We are called, we are created in Christ so that we can walk in holiness. Chapter 5, verse 27, look what he says about his church, his bride, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, right? It's a transition. Paul in Romans spends 11 chapters laying out the doctrine. Then he comes to chapter 12, and he says, now in light of that, this is how you are to live. And he says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He has saved you. Now offer your body up as a living sacrifice, holy 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 2 Timothy 1, 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. 1 Peter 1, 15, but as he who called you is holy and also be holy in all your conduct. Here's what John MacArthur writes. The believer who walks in a manner worthy of the calling with which he has been called is one whose daily living corresponds to his high position as a child of God and fellow heir with Jesus Christ. In other words, MacArthur says, his practical living matches his spiritual position. This high calling that you are now sons and daughters of God, fellow heirs with Jesus, our life should line up with that. F.F. Bruce writes, a Christian's character and conduct should match their creed and confession. Let me ask you, does your character and your conduct line up to what your creed and confession is? If your creed and your confession is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he is Lord and Savior of my life, does your life line up with that? Are you balancing out the scales there? You see, God's grace and our godly conduct should match. Let me be clear. You are not saved by your works. You are saved by grace. But once the Spirit of God gets a hold of you and Jesus begins to live in you and you're transformed, the way you live ought to line up with what you say you believe. That's why Paul says, I therefore. In light of what I've said, now this is how we apply it. This is how we Live it out. Jesus is Savior and Lord of my life. Does our character and our conduct match that confession? Let me give you another word. It's the Greek word ekklesia. From this Greek word, we get the word church. Ekklesia in the Greek, the first part of that word ek means out from, out from. The second part of that word we get from the Greek word kaleo, which means to call. So the church is the called out ones. They're called out from something and they're called to something else. Notice, notice the ties. We're called out. Paul talks about this calling to which we've been called. We're to live in a manner worthy. Ecclesia, called out, set apart. We're to be holy unto God. So here's what I want to emphasize as we as we close, as we think about this Advent season, or as we think about the coming of Christ and the birth of Christ and why he came, 
Look, sometimes we can just go through the motions. And, and we can read the Advent stories, and we can light the candles, and we can, we can do all of these things. And yet, in the midst of that, sometimes we forget that what we believe cannot be separated from how we live. That if we are a people this Christmas season who really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then your family and your neighbors and your coworkers and strangers at the grocery store and the random people that you will meet, they ought to be able to see that you are different from a lot of other people they know. Even at the way you celebrate Christmas and the emphasis for you is different from how a lot of other people live. Because we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. So here, here's how I want to end. Be who you are. Be who you are. Who are you? Only you can answer that question. Are you in Christ or outside of Christ? If you're outside of Christ, you don't have a relationship with Christ, listen, you need to be saved. Because your eternity in hell is at stake. Because you have sinned and rebelled against the holy and righteous God who has every right to condemn you to hell. Because he created you and he has set a standard and you and I have failed to meet that standard. You need a savior more than anything else. This Jesus we talk about, he came and died for you. You need to confess your sins, repent of your sins. You need to believe upon the name of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, for those of us who have, and that's the majority of us, I'm going to challenge you as we go forward in these next three chapters to be who you are. You are in Christ. Now live that life out. Be who I made you to be. Now here's what you need to understand. We cannot separate, and a lot of people are doing this today, we cannot separate the doctrine of God from the practice in our lives. That's what a lot of Christians are doing. They just want to love, they want to do the good things, but they want to discard God's word and his teachings. We cannot do that. We have a lot of other people who know God's word, they know his doctrines, they know his teachings, but you would never know it by looking how they live their life. We cannot separate those two things. Our lives are grounded upon the doctrine of God's word. We build our lives on that, and now our lives are different. So be who I made you to be. God has done the work. He has saved you. And now he's saying through Paul, walk in that manner. We see this pattern in the Old Testament. It's Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 8. This is what God says to his people. See, I have set the land before you. God has delivered the Israelites from, from Egypt. He's bringing them. They're on the brink of the promised land. He had promised it to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Right? This was the promise. They're there on the verge. God says to his people, see, I have set the land before you. This is what God has done for us in Christ. He says, see, I've given you Christ. I've saved you. I've, I've changed you. I've reconciled you. This is your identity. Now, what do we do with it? Well, he says to them, see, I have set, before you, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land. And then he reminds them that the Lord swore to your fathers. He says, folks, you're on the precipice. You're right there. Go in. I've promised this land to you. All you have to do is go and take it. Does God's people listen? Not in Deuteronomy 1.8, they don't. 
They fail to trust in the promises of God. Ten of them says, nope, can't do it. And they choose not to obey God and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. God said, I've given it to you. Now this is what you've got to do. Paul spends three chapters saying this is the blessing in Christ. Now what? Woo, some wonderful blessings. I'm going to go live my life. I want to live my life. No, no, no. He says, this is what I've done for you. Now walk. Take possession of it. Go live this way. Now, let me close with this. Brothers and sisters, we're going to get to some hard, hard, hard stuff. When you get into chapters 4, 5, and 6, and we're talking about don't let any uncorrupting talk come out of your mouth. Some of you, when we get to that Sunday, you'll, you'll squirm a little bit. We're going to talk about forgiveness. And for you that Sunday, you're going to squirm because you've, you've got bitterness and grudges in your heart and you have not forgiven. Well, we're, we're going to talk about working hard. That's something our culture needs today, right? A work ethic, working hard. Let me tell you, there's some Christians who need to start working harder than they're working. And so that Sunday, right, that may become a little difficult for you, right? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. We're, we're going to get into um, right, the forgiveness part, being kind to one another. That's not always easy. That's challenging. We're going to get into walking in love and abstaining from sexual immorality. Look, for some of you, that's a struggle. You're addicted to pornography or you're sleeping around with somebody that's not your spouse or maybe you're being unfaithful. These are difficult, hard truths. We're going to spend some time talking about marriage between one man and one woman. Is that popular in our culture today? No, it is not. We're going to talk about what marriage looks like. We're going to talk about children obeying your parents. You got any kids or youth? struggling with that today is it easy to obey your parents i was a child no it wasn't easy to obey my parents right we're going to get in to these difficult hard truths hear me the temptation for us is to say well you know what i like that teaching on children obey your parents because i'm the parent I, I like that part but man you know paul adds Something about don't provoke your children to anger fathers. And you're like, I don't really like that part. Or, or you may say, I like the part on marriage, but I don't like the part on, on my mouth and what comes out of my mouth. So here's the temptation for every single one of us as we begin to live out the gospel in our lives. It is to pick and choose what we're going to follow and how we're going to obey. So let's go back to the garden at the tomb of the unknown soldier. None of those men or women, when they stand there at their time, have the ability or the opportunity to deviate one second, one step from what they're called to do. And if they do, they will never serve again because they are called to march and live with precision. Brothers and sisters, what we're going to talk about in the coming months is not easy. And apart, hear me, Apart from the Spirit of God in your life is impossible. But Paul says you've been sealed and indwelt by the Spirit of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We are to live different than the world. Understand that. You and I are to be different, and the Spirit of God empowers us to be different. The question for us is this. Are we going to start walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. 
we've laid it heavy on the doctrine. And that doctrine is going to shape us as we move forward in the coming months. And we're going to be dependent upon the Spirit of God. And I pray your desire is, God, make me the man and the woman who submits everything to you, not only as Savior, but as Lord. Help me to be holy and help me to live in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have called me to. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? This morning, basically, the message is just a primer, getting us ready for what is to come. Here's the question for you this morning. It's simply twofold. Number one is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know the gospel? Do you have the hope that is, that is Jesus? Do you know the, the love of the Father in Jesus? As we've talked about that at the beginning of the message, hope and love. Do you know that? If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, right now at this moment, would you just confess to God, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I'm a sinner, that I deserve hell, and that I need a Savior. And Jesus, I'm confessing for the first time in my life that you came to be that Savior, that I'm believing in you, and I'm trusting in you, confessing with my mouth that Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God, and that Jesus, God, raised you from the dead turning from my sins, and I'm taking hold of you. And from this day forward, I want to follow you. I want to be like Jesus. If you, if you made that decision this morning, if you prayed that prayer or something similar to that, to, to give your life to Jesus, to, to be saved, I want you to let me know that. You can let me know that by walking this aisle in just a moment as we sing, or you can see me after the service and just say, hey, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. What comes next? Will you help me to understand and then, brothers and sisters, as we enter into the season of Advent, as we enter into the season of anticipating and waiting, the world waiting for Christmas morning, for us to focus upon Christ, let us ask the question, how will the people that I come in contact with, how will my family members, how will my friends, how will they see Jesus in me? And is your life matching up with the calling to which you have been called? If it is not, will you repent of that? Whatever area that may be, will you confess it, turn from it, give it to the Lord? Would you just be humble before him this morning and say, God, help me in light of who I am now to be that in the way that I live my life, set apart unto you. Give me the strength to do that. Father, speak to our hearts as we sing as we lift up our voices, Spirit of God, move in this place. Convict us. Make us worthy, God, of this incredible calling and privilege that you have given us by grace through faith in Christ alone. Make us worthy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's sing together. I'll be here at the front.
for just a moment let me uh let me just praise god for a moment at 10 30 i did not know if i was going to have a voice to be able to get through preaching but praise god he sustained that voice and so can we just give god uh praise for a moment just go ahead and praise him for that i was uh i was ready to shorten the sermon i mean i was struggling to talk but god sustained that all right 
So now that I got a little bit more of a voice, let me just say, if this is your first time with us, we're thankful that you are here. I noticed several faces I haven't seen before. Would you please let us know this is your first time? There's a couple ways that you can do that. One, there's a QR code you can scan. Just a couple of questions you can fill out online, or there's a connection card out there um, in, in the foyer that you could fill out and leave with the ladies uh, out there. Make sure you're paying attention to the announcements. This morning when I got here, there were still four tags uh, for the Bridging the Gaps Christmas in Coweta. I don't know if those are gone or not, but if you haven't grabbed a tag, there was only a few left. Those need to be brought back by this Wednesday, and you need to bring the, the stocking tag with it and put it on top of it, keep them together so that we know uh, who they are for. Um, our senior friends are having a, a white elephant gift exchange coming up. That's in the bulletin. Uh, we got a church work day coming up. That's in the bulletin. Uh, please pay attention to those things. Um, help out any way that you can. All right, so I told you last week that we had something fun coming up, uh, and David would be here this morning. They were under the weather last week, so he's coming to tell you a little bit about this, and then we'll close with a word of prayer. All right, the bulletin says next week, a couple of you got confused and wore your ugly Christmas sweater today. That's okay. Especially the houndstooth ones, but we'll, we'll forgive that. Uh, next Sunday, the College and Careers class, we are sponsoring Ugly Sweater Sunday. We will have a couple of prizes for Tackiest Tinsel and Ugliest Sweater and the ever-coveted Terry Perkins Memorial Prize for Ugly Christmas Sweater. <laughs> it's just something to have fun. We're not, we're not trying to detract from the worship of our Lord and Savior, but it's something for the body to get together and just laugh about, have a good time and celebrate Christmas, the coming of our Lord and Savior. Uh, but we will have cookies and hot chocolate out front. Come by, get some. We'll have it before Sunday school and before service. Come enjoy, laugh, poke fun at one another, and just have a great time. Amen, amen. We're just looking for different ways, but we can just have fun as the body of Christ. Sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. As David said, in no way are we trying to diminish the worship uh, so wear your ugly sweater. We're going to worship. We're going to focus on Jesus. And then when the service is done, we'll, we'll recognize some of those prizes. And again, we're going to fellowship with one another. We went through a period there where we couldn't fellowship at all because of COVID. So we're just looking for every opportunity. It's a way for our college kids to kind of get involved and to have fun with it. And um, so if you got an ugly sweater, go ahead and, uh, and, and bring it and have fun with it. All right, Bill Bailey is the deacon of the week. So he's going to come. Uh, let me just give you a heads up. If you come a little bit early tonight at four o'clock, our deacons are going to meet in here in the sanctuary. And from about four to 445, uh, instead of a meeting, we're doing a prayer walk. Our deacons are. So there's five different stations. So they're going to be in and out of some buildings praying. So if you walk into a building and see somebody praying, just be mindful of that. Try to be quiet as we just pray going into a new year. Uh, for God's blessings over different areas in our church. So that'll be going on. Um, and if you're available at 4 o'clock and you want to spend some time in prayer, feel free to do that. All right, if you'll stand, Bill's going to close us out with the word of prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, and our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for forgiveness of sin. Father, we recognize that our walk is not perfect. We only... We know that there's only one perfect among us, and that's you and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Through your Spirit, you shine a light on our path. You're a lamp to, to our feet and a light to our path. Your Word 
is that lamp and that light. Help us, dear Lord, in the study of your word and in the application of your word. Dear God, that we remember what you put in our hearts, Father, to walk in the manner worthy. Father, we'll fail, but you are our lamp and our light and our hope and our promise. And help us to stand there, dear God. Thank you for your goodness to us. Go with us as we make this walk out of this house. Dear Lord, that we uh, remember how to walk. In Jesus' name, we'll give you the praise. Amen.